Oh, man. Bright, beautiful kids. And then it's the fat, ugly old man. It's just not fair. Something's wrong. Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke 21? I'm going to finish the rest of this chapter. I have 21 slides here. I hope you brought a banana sandwich. (laughs) I just couldn't see a way to break this up, so I'm going to try to fly through it and hit the high points. Of the continuing of the Olivet Discourse of Christ, we've come to this portion in Luke. The three great prophetic mountaintops, or the mountaintops of prophecy, in the scriptures are the Old Testament book of Daniel, the New Testament book of the Revelation, and then right in the middle is the Olivet Discourse. Christ references this, these prophecies, the Revelation which had not been written at this time, and Daniel which had. And he hits the high spots of these things for his disciples. So let's put it in its perspective. For these three years or so, Christ has been teaching the people in general, but most specifically his disciples, of the error of Judaism regarding their doctrine of the Messiah in that they were simply ignoring the suffering Messiah, the first coming of the Messiah, and they were just right on over there to the glorious coming of the Messiah. And Christ has been teaching to correct that. He's told his disciples he's going to have to die. They're going to crucify him, but on the third day he'll rise again. We've seen already through Luke how difficult it has been for his disciples to accept that. Here with all that's been going on, and this is Wednesday evening before he is crucified on Friday. Of course, the next day they prepare for Passover and so forth. Their question is, when Christ said this, all of this is going to be leveled, this temple, this whole way of things, what what are going to be the signs of your coming? When's this going to happen? So Christ is answering. We, We started in this. Last time, and we're going to finish it, God willing, today. Basically, Jesus tells them that, uh, continuing on, there are the signs of the Gentiles, the signs of the church, and the signs of Israel. Now, some of these things, they all, from this point onward, when Christ is teaching on the Mount of Olives here. He's talking about the times of the Gentiles, which started in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, somewhere around 600 BC. The times of the Gentiles extend on to the establishment of the kingdom. The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled and they come to a close with the defeat of the Antichrist And with the glorious coming of Christ and in his second coming, the establishment 
of the kingdom. I've already told you that I believe the best way uh, biblically to study eschatology, the doctrine of last things, is from the premillennial, pre-tribulational perspective. And I've, I wasn't always that way, but many, many years ago, I, through just personal Bible study, I became convinced that this is the way that the Bible agrees with itself. So we're looking at the times of the, Jesus is answering their question. The times of the Gentiles, which they were already in because Rome was the power of the world, extending all the way through the time of the kingdom, but the time of the church, in my view, and I believe biblically, the time of the church is within the times of the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit came down, of course, and in my view, the church was established on day of Pentecost. And I believe that the church, militant, the church victorious, the church universal, if you will, from the time of Pentecost is brought to an end with the taking away of the living and the raising of the dead, the first resurrection, in, in which begins or initi Christ initiates, but which is inclusive of the first resurrection. Okay. I believe, especially Matthew is much more uh, involved and extensive than Luke's teaching. But Luke's is academic and we can follow it very well. Christ now continues and concludes his answer to the disciples who asked him, when will these things be? What are the signs of it? Concludes it here in uh, this passage of scripture. So we're going to think of this against the backdrop of the time, the times of the Gentiles or nations, the times of the nations. The time of the church and the time of Israel. Okay, so with that in mind, let's look at it. First, he gives the apostles the sign of their own persecution. See, okay, here's what they've been thinking. They've even been fussing. We've seen this. They've been, even been arguing about who's going to be number two in the kingdom. Who's going to be the greatest? <laughs> that, was, that was fairly immature and it was premature for Christ at that point in time to say, hey guys, you're going to have to get whipped and, and imprisoned and tortured and dead before that happens. That wasn't an appropriate time. But now, bringing their minds into focus with regard to the truth that he's about to complete what was required for his first coming. And then there's going to be this extensive period of time and then he will come again. But he gives them sort of a very, very general overview of everything that's going to happen between his first and second comings. Okay. From the point after his crucifixion, what starts after that? The next sign, they ask, what are going to be the signs? Well, sign number one is what I call the sign of the apostles. Namely, the sign of their persecution. But before all that, this is Jesus. 
But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors on account of my name. It will result to you for a testimony. Jesus says, number one, apostles, disciples, number one, you're going to be persecuted by the Jews, synagogues and prisons. Then after that, you're going to be persecuted by the Gentiles, by the nations, kings and governors. Why? Because of my name. If you name the name of Jesus, if Jesus is your savior, may I say to you, there is no guarantee of a soft, easy life for you, nor for me. And I believe we are racing into those days, even today, where people despise the name of Jesus and literally hate and would commit violence upon those who name the name of Jesus. So, this is what Jesus said. It's gonna, your persecution is going to start with the Jews. It's going to continue on through the Gentile world because of my name. But he says, let me tell you this. You're going to get a good opportunity to testify to me when this happens. So if you study the history of the church, you will find that every time the church has been persecuted, what happened is... People by the droves, the Holy Spirit of God was poured out. And there's something about the blood of the saints that, that waters the soil that brings forth new Christians. It's just the way and purpose and plan of God. On account of my name, it will result to you for a testimony. And he's going to tell them again what he's already told them. We'll see in a second. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit of God's going to take over. When you're standing there and you're about to get whipped nine to death, or you're about to be killed, you're going to receive a refreshing from on high and a renewal in your mind and spirit such that you'll be able to testify like you've never testified before. History proves that out. So, Christ continues. Therefore, settle in your minds not to premeditate to make a defense, for I will give you a mouth, a, a mouth and wisdom, which those opposing you will not be able to reply nor resist. Then you'll be betrayed, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some from among you to death, and you'll be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your patient endurance, you will gain your souls. I'm not going to take the time to give to you an, a, a detailed exegesis of the Greek text, but let me just say this. What Christ is saying here, you will die but you're going to live. That's what he says. You're going to be put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. I sure hope he preserves my head from when I was in my early 20s. There's <laughs> a lot more hair on that head than there is now. 
Not a hair of your head will perish. You'll gain your souls. You'll live forever. Death has no hold or power on you. Christ is your testimony. He is your life. He is your power. He is greater than the world. The world can put you to death, but they can't kill you. You'll live forever. Christ gives the guarantee to us that regardless of what we face in his name, we will never, ever perish. So then, the sign of persecution. Read the book of Acts. It starts right in the book of Acts. Matter of fact, Luke has a two-volume writing here to Theophilus. Starts with the gospel of Luke, continues on the book of Acts. The book of Acts is one persecution after another. First from the Jews and then from the Gentiles, just like Christ said. And the persecution from the nations, from the Gentiles, continues today. Christians being persecuted around the world and even here in our own nation. So then, the first sign is the sign of persecution. Starts immediately in the book of Acts after the ascension of Christ. Then Christ continues. The next is the sign of Jerusalem and Judaism. Christ has pretty much concluded the effectiveness of Judaism in his teaching earlier in this day on Wednesday. We saw that. We we went through a lot of scripture in Luke where they just couldn't reply. They couldn't respond to him. He brings them to the truth that we're saved by grace, not by works. The works of the law, human, human defined righteousness, a set of behavioral codes and rules. These things don't save you. God saves you in Christ by his grace. So then the next thing he gives them is what I call the sign of Jerusalem and Judaism. Then when you see Jerusalem being encircled by encampments, know that her desolation is drawn near. Okay, all right. Now this is a thing that begins with what happens in 70 AD. Christ has just said not one stone left upon another. We saw that some time back. Be watching, he says. And this very generation of people are still alive when the Roman legions come in and encircle Jerusalem, level the place, set it on fire, and kill hundreds of thousands of Jews. The very ones who rejected Christ. Here's what Jesus said. The sign of Jerusalem. Jerusalem being encircled. Now I have that word. That's in a... That's in a that's in a tense that tells us that it happens, but it can happen. You know, it's, it's, Jerusalem is still in a mess, right? It's never not been in a mess. Isn't that interesting? All the cities of the world, the ancient cities, Rome, Alexandria, Cairo, all the ancient cities of the world. But the one that really upsets the world is the city of Jerusalem. Just like Jesus said. You'll see Jerusalem circled. When you see that, you'll know that her desolation is about to come about. Those in Judea, let them flee to the mountains. Those in her midst, let them depart. Those in the country, let them stay in the country. 
For these are the days of vindication to fulfill all things having been written. Now, this begins with the desolation of Jerusalem by the Romans. But continues through the times of the Gentiles until the fulfillment of the days of vindication or vengeance have been completed. The prophecies have been completed. Now, if you study Matthew right along in this point, Matthew says this is a time of tribulation. So it's the tribulation. The times of the Gentiles continues all the way through the tribulation. Final seven years of, of history as, and, and events as we understand them. So this goes on. The days of vindication are the time of those seven years that have been prophesied in both testaments. The tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, the wrath of God is poured out. And you can read about that in the Revelation from chapters 4 through the end of, or through the end of 18 into 19. These things are going to happen. Jerusalem is going to be in a mess. When you first see it, those of you who believe in me, you'd better get out of here. Those of you who believe in me, who don't live in the city, you'd better stay out of the city. Because this place is going to be leveled and ruined. And then Jesus essentially says, Jerusalem's troubles will continue until the fulfillment of the days of vindication. The time of tribulation. But woe to those pregnant, those nursing in those days. Vindication days. For there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into the nations. And all Jerusalem will be trampled upon by the nations. Until the times of the nations are fulfilled. Gentiles, nations. Now, you may not be able to see it, but I have the S in the plural there. Jerusalem will be trampled upon by the nations. It's in the plural, so it can't be Rome. It's not only inclusive of Rome, but it's all of the nations, the powers of the nations all the way through until the times of the nations are fulfilled. So we've gone through all these regional wars in the Middle East. We've gone through world wars. Jerusalem is trampled upon. As a matter of fact, everybody in the world but the Jew is saying what's going to happen to Jerusalem. This is the, these are the times of the Gentiles. So they have great talks of peace and they discuss what we're going to do with Jerusalem. Going to cut it in half, give half to these, this group of people and half to the Jews. What are we going to do with the Mount up there where the temple used to be? What are we going to do? So the times of the Gentiles are trampling down on the city of Jerusalem. Until the times of the Gentiles, the times of the nations are fulfilled. There's coming a day, and of course that comes, the fulfillment of the times of the nations comes when the final national Gentile leader, we call him disaffectionately the Antichrist, when he is utterly defeated, he and the false prophet are cast alive. 
into the lake of fire. False prophet. I read an article this past week. Saudi Arabia and Jordan are in discussions with religious leaders in Jerusalem. Making plans to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount next to the Dome of the Rock, which is the Temple Mount. Put a wall around it and make it a place for spiritual refreshment and worship for all of the major religions of the world. Think about that. Making plans, even that's the false prophet. The Pope has entered into an agreement, not on my behalf, with the leaders of Islam. People are calling it Chrislam. And he set aside a day, May the 14th, which is the anniversary of the birth of Israel, 2020, when all of the academic Religious and political leaders of the world are invited to an event hosted by the Vatican to bring all of the world religions together. Think about that. Jerusalem will be trampled upon by the nations until the times of the nations are fulfilled. Next, I call the signs of preparation and tribulation. Times of the Gentiles, church, Israel, tribulation. So here we go. Christ continues. And there will be signs. It's, it's in a future, so it means later. Sun, in the sun, moon, stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The roaring of the sea and rolling surge, men fainting from fear and expectation of that which is coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Cataclysmic events, unlike mankind has ever seen before. Those signs will be in the sun, the moon, the stars. In other words, they'll be in the celestial heavens. Those signs will be on earth when nations are having such a hard time, they can't come together about anything. And that's the breaking of the first couple of seals there. The roaring of the sea, natural cataclysmic disasters. Men fainting from fear. I can understand that. Manhood's about been lost in the world anyway. Men fainting, that's not too far-fetched, I guess. From fear and expectation of that which is coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. It can't be anything that we've seen yet because it hasn't shaken us up and people ain't fainting from it. Right? We're beginning to enter into an era of distress of nations with perplexity. I read yesterday, they called it a catastrophic event unknown in history 
the history of California, wildfires, unprecedented 85 mile per hour winds blowing those fires all over the place. It's, you know, the Bible says a third of the world will be burned up. That's, I don't know, I'm not saying it starts with California. It'd be okay with me if it does. Um, I'm, there are a lot of good people in California, don't get me wrong. Take it away that you want to. But we've never seen things like this before. And as a matter of fact, the Bible talks about these things. And in Jesus' day, people around the world couldn't have known about it. Okay, there was an earthquake. Here they are in, the, there are, here they are in Jerusalem. There was an earthquake in China. Well, they wouldn't know that. We can today. When I was preaching on that last time, we mentioned earthquakes in various places. I have a thing that's not here. My phone, I have a thing. It's earthquake alert. I don't want it. You can leave it like it is. It's, I was going to put it up here. And it, if, you set, if you set the notification, it gives a little eh, every time there's an earthquake in the world. So I'd have been up here preaching, eh, and I'd preach like, eh. I mean, they're all over the world all the time. Roaring of the sea, rolling surge, powers of the heavens be shaken. Now those things, of course, reach their pinnacle in the time of the tribulation, and they are described beginning in the seals and then through the trumpets and the bowls that are poured out. They're described. They're described in great detail. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. Now, can, okay. They're thinking that Christ is going to run back up to the Father and then come right back and set up the kingdom. Christ is explaining a long time going to happen. A lot of things. Preaching going to go on all over the world. Bad things are going to get worse and worse. But then when these things unknown to man that have ever been seen that can only be divine intervention. Then they'll see the son of man. That's when you'll see the son of man. That's when you'll see the second coming. That's when you'll see the establishment of the kingdom in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, this is a message I think to you and me today. Then when the beginning of these things come to pass, look up and lift up your heads because your Redemption draws near. The nation of Sweden, article last week, encouraging people to be chipped in their hands. A company in Minnesota not long ago, all their employees were chipped in their hands. We're warned about the mark of the beast in the book of the Revelation. Now, what would they have thought of this in Peter's day? I don't know. Earthquakes all over the world. How could Peter know, like I have that thing on my, that app on my phone. He couldn't have known it then. It had to have been a day when people could know instantly everything that's going on in the world. Distress of nations with perplexity. I'm out here with a bunch of sheep. 
or I have an, an, an olive garden, or I have a vineyard, and I, I don't know what's happening all over the world, but I do today. Distress of nations with perplexity, earthquakes, mark of the beast. I could go on and on. Listen to what Jesus says. If you start seeing these things come to pass, if you see the beginning of it, Your redemption is right at the door. Now, I think that's us. I think that's us. The world has never seen these things converge like this together before. There are other things that I could say, but I must go on. The signs of the last generation. He spoke a parable to them. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees. Not just the fig tree, all the trees. When they sprout already, looking on them for yourselves. Now, this was the time of the Passover. This was spring. It's almost summer when Jesus is saying these things. And so he could just point to the trees where they were. You know that summer is right here. So you also, when you see these things coming to pass, know that the kingdom of God is near. In the Old Testament, the time of harvest is linked to the time of judgment, the harvest of God. The book of the Revelation talks about the sickle that's placed into the world as a time of judgment and the wine press of his wrath, the, the, the grapes and, and all that are gathered. Christ is not, this is not like another parable about the fig tree, which is Israel. This is something he said, look at all the trees, everything that bears fruit. Look at them. You know that summer is nearly here. It's a time for harvest. It's a time for judgment. When you see these things coming to pass, judgment is at the door. Judgment, heaven, hell, saved, lost. In the presence of Christ are cast into hell forever. These things are even at the door. And the kingdom of God is just right here, about to be established on planet Earth. Truly, I say to you, this generation, what generation? The generation that sees all these things coming together will not have passed away until all these things shall have taken place. The heaven and the earth will pass away, but my words will not ever. It's in a double negative up there. Ume, ume. Not never, it's a double negative in the Greek, will not never pass away. They laugh, they scoff, they persecute Christians, they tear up and burn the Bible, they don't believe in God. 
although the Bible plainly shows us about the things that are occurring now in the Middle East, about the things socially and culturally that are bringing the world into damnation. The Bible tells us, and we're seeing them. This generation is seeing these things. How much more plain could Christ be? That's the generation. that will see judgment come and the kingdom established. They can disbelieve it. They can burn the word. They can scoff us, put us to death, persecute us, put us in prison. They can do whatever they want to do, but the word still says what the word says and things still keep happening in the times of the nations just like Christ said they would. It's irrevocable. It's unstoppable. It's irreversible. You can't stop it. It is the will, the sovereign will and divine purpose of God. The reason for the creation is the consummation. The reason everything started is so that everything can be brought to a glorious and wonderful ending by the power, will, and purpose of God. So what does he say to us? Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be ever burdened with drunken nausea and drunkenness and cares of life. Listen. You probably get upset, as upset as I do watching the news. Don't go have a stiff drink. You just say, man, the world's going to hell. I think I'm just going to get drunk. Don't do that. That's what he says. Don't drink yourself into a blind stupor. And that day come upon you suddenly as a snare because it's coming and it's coming on everybody who sits on the face of the earth from the greatest to the smallest from the mightiest to the least from east, west, north, south everybody, every tribe, tongue, kindred and nation is facing this ensnarement of the end of days so watch in every season praying that you may have the strength To escape all these things that are about to come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Man, that's the rapture of the church. Poof. I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture. I do. I've seen it. People say the word rapture. It's not true. The principle is there. The word is there. The word for it that becomes, you call it translation of the child. I don't care what you call it. Hypozole. The word means to be seized from impending danger. Christ says to one of the seven churches, well, Church of Philadelphia, he says, You'll escape these things. 
You'll be brought out from that. You won't have to worry about that. Paul teaches it to the Thessalonians. Where he uses that word snatch away or to be seized. It happened with Enoch. It happened with Elijah. If I don't die before these things happen, it'll happen with me. Whatever season you're alive in, whatever, if you're alive, whatever the season may be, regardless of what the setting of the world may seem to be, you'd better pray. Be praying. Don't get drunk. Pray that this God-given strength is yours so that you can escape and stand before me. And here's how he concludes the chapter. During the day, Christ was teaching in the temple. In the evening, he was going out, lodging on the mount called Olivet. And all the people would come early in the morning to him in the temple to hear him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. The, the, the Bible can be no more clear than what it's been Christ is coming, and I believe he's coming soon. Today, I plead with you to come to Christ. But it isn't my voice that will draw you to Christ. It is the power of God that draws you to Christ. You may misunderstand something that I say, but you cannot misunderstand the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, be saved while it is today. For the time is coming. The day is coming when no man can be saved. In just a moment, I'll ask everybody to stand and we'll sing a song of our invita- a hymn of our invitation. If you'd come to Christ today, I hope that you'll just step out, come to me, share that with me. Let me pray with you. Maybe you're here, you're already a Christian, and this is where God wants you to plant your life. To serve Christ, to study his word, to fellowship with other believers. The invitation is open for you as well. Father God in heaven, bless this moment to your glory as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Would you come?